0: Oh, thanks. Grab, please grab your seats. Please, please, please. That's great. It, it, honestly, sometimes when um, someone introduces you, you do look around and wonder who they're talking about. You ever had that experience? You think to yourself, do I really do that? Do I, do I really do that? I don't know if I do or not. I tell you what I do. I have a great team. That's what I do. I have a brilliant team of people who work with us. And hey, how you doing? Trevor and Zoe, nice to see you. Trevor's one of our AOG chaplains, actually. He's an army chaplain. He's a padre. Should I do this? No? Okay, I won't have to do that. Uh, what, what, Excuse us, everybody. Um, so what? Okay, come on up for a minute, because I'm I'm, now I'm in charge. I'll go for it. Um, so this is Troy. Why don't you give me a welcome. So uh, we, we met, you were in Leicester, and then you went to Lincoln. Yes. And then you became a Padre. Yep. Is that the official... Chaplain or Padre, yeah. Okay. Or what, sir, what's yeah. your rank? Because uh, I'm a general manager. Okay. That's very good. Well, um, I, I, I salute you. Yeah. I'm uh, currently sort of captain equivalent. Okay. Captain. okay. Now, here's a bit. Do you have to do what they have to do, like in the training and all that? Because you're a lot fitter than you used to be. Um. <laughs> yeah. I, d- I, d- I, do, I would never be able to do that. I do, yeah, join in with the with the, the PT physical training. And, uh, you know, Monday this week I was doing a seven-mile Tab as they call it, march with the weight on and that sort of thing with the guys. And uh, the last week we were going over the assault course, you know, and, and I felt very old then. But uh, but yeah, no, it was good fun. Okay, and what, who are you with, regiment? Uh, I'm, I'm so sorry. I will preach in a minute. All right. I'm, I'm <laughs> with the uh, with an engin- parachute engineer regiment. Okay, so if they deploy, you go with them. Yes, if if we all go, yeah. Um, so. Yeah, I go either this country or, or overseas, yeah, I'll, I'll go with them, so, uh, yeah. Hey, what a privilege yeah. Yeah. to yeah. stand yeah. with our armed forces like that. Yeah. What? Why, don't we, why don't we stand, hey, because you're praying, church, because I know you're pastors, so I know you're praying, we're, we're going to pray, won't you come up as well, and we'll, but I know you've been commissioned multiple times, like, in other ways as well, but why don't we just pray, what an opportunity. Father, we thank you for Trevor and the many other chaplains functioning in so many different parts of our country. But we pray over him as he speaks to young men, young women, uh, potentially face those life or death moments and, and have to wrestle their way through it. Father, we pray, give him incredible wisdom, Holy Spirit, fill him afresh, that he can be that man of God for them in those moments and speak life, we pray. Amen. 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 That's good to see Oh, I tell you what, there's something about Assemblies of God being family that really matters, and, and those moments matter as much as the moments where God breaks in, because God breaks in through relationship as much as he breaks in in meetings. So, let me, uh, let's grab your Bible, so you've got your Bible, I'm going to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. Um, it's, if you've never been to church before, I guarantee you've heard of the title of this chapter, and if you have been to church for a while, you will have heard this chapter preached on David and Goliath. 1 Samuel chapter 17, it goes like this from verse 4. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. For the rest of us, he was nine foot nine. He had a bro- I'm from the north. Have you picked that up yet? It was when I said nine foot nine, I thought I should explain myself. He, he had a bronze helmet on his head, wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs he wore bronze greaves, a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, God's people, Why do you come out and line up for a battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not the servants of Saul? Saul was the king. Choose a man. Have him come down. If he can fight and kill me, we become your subjects. If I overcome and kill him, you'll become our subjects and serve us. Have you noticed that the deal was biased? Right? You become, we become your subjects, but if I kill you, you become our subjects and serve us, right? So he biased the deal. And then the Philistines said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Then I'm going to read to you from 2 Corinthians and chapter 10. It says this For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient. That that right there, that's therapy, right there in the Bible. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. You are judging by appearances. We're going to come back to that in a moment. If anyone is confident they belong to Christ, they should consider again that we belong to Christ, judge as much as they do. Uh, When I was in primary school, in my second to last year of primary school, I became the school goalkeeper for the football team. Thank you very much. You were underwhelmed by that. I was a primary school goalkeeper. That particular season, uh, we lost most games to the kind of 10-0 kind of numbers. My dad would come to every game, every Saturday morning. He would drive us wherever we were in Bolton, and he would drive us to this, you know, pitch. I remember going to this one pitch. It was on an angle. In the first half, we were supremely confident. We were only 1-0 down, but we were at the top. In the second half, we lost 22-0. It was brutal. Brutal. Every week, my dad would patrol the sidelines, shouting encouragement, telling us how good we were. I would get in the car at the end of the game. It would have been bad every time. Looking back, it was terrible. But every time, my dad would go, "You did so well. It's not your fault. It's the defence, you know." And he'd tell me all this stuff, you know. It's the attacker. He doesn't come back and defend. It's all, And he'd encourage me and encourage me and encourage me. And then the next season, you know that when you shift from year five to year six in primary school. We were all that little bit bigger, a little bit taller, a little bit faster, a little bit stronger. We won the league. Come on, now you're impressed, right? We won the Bolton Primary School League.
1: And I discovered this simple truth. Winning feels better. Winning feels better.
0: I have proven that that is true because I'm a Bolton Wanderers fan. For the last decade, I have discovered that winning feels better, but I haven't experienced it. I also have a bit of a competitive streak in me, can I be really honest? So much so, I don't play team sports. I cheat. I I don't play family games. I cheat. I am banned from Monopoly. I just have to win. There is something within me. I'd like to believe it's biblical. And I'm going to prove it to you this morning. Psalm 118 verse 6 says this. The Lord is on my side. That means there's sides. Now pause
1: for a moment in all the humor. There are sides. I am not afraid. What can people do to me? Joshua
0: tells the people in Joshua 24 verse 15. Choose this day whom you will serve. Literally, Joshua is saying, choose sides. Which side are you going to be on? Jesus says in Matthew 12, 30, whoever is not with me is against me. There is definitely a truth that there are sides and as the people of God, we are designed to win. We are. I'm going I'm to prove it to you this morning. You are designed And destined to win. You have been set up with the whole of your life, with everything that has gone on, that for your life to become the win that God has designed it to be. It may not look like it and feel like it, but what's the measure you're using to define a win? Often it feels like, as the church were the uh, underdog, that others have more going for them. You ever had those moments where you're measuring your life against the lives of those around you? I get up in the morning, I, I turn on the light in the, the room that I go to pray in, and, and, and I turn on the light and I look out at all my neighbors with their lights off. And I think if I wasn't a Christian, I could probably get another 35, 40 minutes sleep here. This does not feel fair. Man, you know that we, there's a sense of what we should do and shouldn't do, how we should live and not live, and don't get me started on fasting. All these people living their lives without Jesus never even think about fasting unless it's, you know, just a little bit in the morning. And then they tell themselves that's healthy. But anyway, we'll leave that alone. Being in the fight for God is like a boxing match between a lightweight and a heavyweight. It's like a football game of Germany versus Andorra. Or it's like University Challenge where Oxford take on the University of Bolton. These things set themselves up that there is someone who should win and someone who should lose. But I want to tell you, whatever life circumstances and situations, however you feel about where things are, you are destined to win. David and Goliath is a well-preached passage. Many people have opened this up and done it better than I will. But indulge me a little bit today. Let me set the scene. The Philistines, the great enemies of the Israelites, have arrived once again. In Israel's territory. Israel now has a king called Saul and in Saul becoming king we've learned a few things about him one of which was this Saul is a head taller than the rest of his countrymen so if you need a giant to fight a giant they have the giant they need but Saul decides this is not a fight for him. It was very normal for two opposing armies To choose a champion because they wanted to avoid the bloodshed or coffee shed. They wanted to avoid the bloodshed that may have occurred if they had had an all-out fight because they wanted the slaves from those warriors. So it's not an unusual situation we find ourselves in in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And don't rush to the end because we're terrible with that. We read the Bible, but we know what happens, so we get to what happens and don't pause on the journey. Except our lives, a journey. The journey of what happens is as important as the end. And Goliath, we know the story, he comes out every single day. And he makes his pronouncement, come and fight me, send someone to fight me. If you beat us, we'll, we'll be your subjects. If we beat you, you be our subjects and serve us. This is what we're going to do. And every professional in the situation has weighed it up and come to the same conclusion. Goliath's unbeatable. He's too big. He's fully armored. He has had a lifetime of training in his style of fighting. Everybody knows it. He knows it. The Philistines know it. Saul knows it. The Israelites knows it. That's why no one has fought him. And then David arrives. It's an interesting passage because David is delivering lunch. Sometimes you look for the professional, but the gifted amateur is sometimes really interesting. David is delivering lunch. And he rocks up to deliver lunch to his brothers, and he hears the narrative of what is going on. I'm going to go to verse 26, boys. All right, verse 26. When the men standing there, David asked them, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what had been told to them. Okay, so what had been told to them? The king will give him great wealth. He'll give his daughter in marriage
1: and he'll exempt his family from taxes In Israel, David has a very different view of the issue to everybody else. Everybody else is going, look at the size of him. Even down on the valley floor, he looks big.
0: Someone's saying it's just perspective. It's not perspective. He's a big lad. He's
1: well-armed, he's well-prepared. He said, everybody knows his reputation. David goes, what what, what do you get if you kill him? You get great wealth, just for clarity. What does great wealth mean?
0: Because, you know, if someone's going to offer me something for doing something, I'd like the clarity on what that means. Because great wealth to you and great wealth to me may be two different things. Like great wealth to my 19-year-old is very different to great wealth to me. He sees things in very different ways. And I'm thinking to myself, great, great. So David starts to prosecute the question and ask, but so what do you mean? How do you get that? His brothers find out about it. They get mad with him. But David keeps saying, great, great wealth. I'm interested in great wealth. What else, you, what else do you get? What else do you get? He will give him
1: his daughter in marriage. Now, if I was David, there'd be a few things. And if this sounds shallow, I apologize. I would be asking this question. What's she look like? If that's shallow, my apologies.
0: My next question would be, is there a reason he's giving her away? Is there more to this story than meets the eye? Has anybody got a carving of her? You know, I mean that's the point that David's
1: reached it and so so and, and then exemption from taxes. Ooh. Gee. David decides he's interested. Why? All comedy aside,
0: how did David beat Goliath? Number one. He thought differently about the problem. Everybody else focused on Goliath. Everything about him that is insurmountable. David asks no questions about Goliath's armor, weaponry, training, or history. Why? Because he is not focused on now. He has taken a long-term view of a short-term problem. He has looked at Goliath, And he has a promise in the back of his head. Because Samuel has been to see David, the prophet Samuel, and has anointed him and told him, you will be king. Well, I don't know if you've ever been anointed to be king. Probably not. But if you're thinking about it and you feel the promise is going to come true, you feel pretty unbeatable because you're not king yet. So David's entire attitude is, this is going to open up for me. Now you're telling me I'm going to get wealth. I'm pretty certain the king's reasonably wealthy. That would be my impression of it in those days. And I get to marry who? Not the king's daughter. Rephrase the language. I'm marrying a princess. Is this the root God that gets me to the promise that you've got for me? And everybody doesn't want to pay taxes. David. Sees the opportunity for the promise to be fulfilled. And he steps in. He says, I can
1: do that. Because he's more focused on the reward than the problem. How else did he think differently? He made the fight about God, not about himself.
0: He didn't have this training. And he didn't have this preparation. And he didn't measure Goliath against him. He measured Goliath against God. Where everybody else is going, he's nine foot nine, he's got this weaponry, he's got this history, he's got this training, he's got all these victories. David's going, yeah, but it's God. I mean, if you want history, God's got a little bit more history than Goliath. If you want experience, God's got a little bit more experience than Goliath. If you want victories, God has a back catalogue of victories that make Goliath's back catalogue look ridiculous. And so David's measure is not about himself. Can I suggest to you that in our lives we spend way too much time thinking about ourselves. And we see what's coming towards us and we view it through the lens of me. And we go, I can't do that. I can't take on that problem. I can't face that challenge. I can't face that difficulty. We need to learn from David. I'm not even thinking about me. I'm thinking about the future. I am living beyond Goliath. Because beyond Goliath, I have great wealth. I've married a princess and I am paying no taxes. Beyond Goliath, I become king. Let's just get through today. And getting through today sometimes means fighting Goliath. It means you've got to go down into the valley, you've got to defeat the giant, and then you've got to see victory on the other side. Sometimes today means delivering lunch. You're still the same person with the same promise and the same anointing on your life to do what God wants you to do. What did David do? He took captive... Every thought. Every other man on that Israelite hill has lost control of their thought life regarding Goliath. They have decided that God, who has saved them so many times, is now incapable because they have been intimidated by Goliath. So, firstly, David thought differently. Second, David measured success differently. For 40 days, Goliath wins. Because for 40 days, nobody fights him. Nobody comes against him. But the victory is not measured on 40 days. It's measured on day 41. Because on day 41, all of Goliath's bluster is forgotten in a moment. All of his talk is gone. You have been somewhere where you're trying to measure getting through? Making it through? The things we accrue in life that we talk about, this is success or that is success, a larger bank account, a, a better house, a nicer car, more cars, they become the key measures of life and success. And that's the Goliath way. All the training, all the weaponry, all the history, but it's not the God way. If we measure against Goliath, It's like deciding who's won 100 meters at the 90 meter mark. Or deciding who's won the football when it's 89 minutes. And I've lived in Manchester long enough to know 89 minutes means there's a lot of time left. David gets offered winning at 90 meters by putting on the armor of Saul. You're going to look good losing. What What a suggestion that is. What if you could look good losing? David knew his destiny. He's not anointed to look good looking like some other king. He's anointed to be a king. So why should he wear someone else's armor into this situation? Everybody else measures success as them against Goliath. David measures success as one day I'm going to be king. Third thing is this is that David acted differently. Everybody saw the same thing except David. There was a one-to-one fight to happen by two men in armor. That's why Saul offered him the armor. You need my armor to do what needs to be done. But that wasn't what David saw. He's already decided he's not going to live by imitation and limitation. So now he's going to fight differently now if you know the story you know what happens now david goes down he goes down into the into the valley he doesn't run at goliath immediately he goes down he gets there's a brook running through the middle of the valley still there now you go down there and then he pulls out five stones because david in his shepherding of sheep has learned to use a sling incredibly effectively and he gets these five stones out of the water and then he puts one into his sling And Goliath makes an interesting demand. He demands that David comes and fights him the way he wants David to fight him. He wants David to come close and to get into his circle of influence. He wants David to come within javelin distance, within sword distance. He wants David to come close enough to him that the fight is on Goliath's side. Because in that circle of influence, Goliath is king. No one can or is going to defeat him. But David refuses to enter Goliath's circle of influence. I love the fact that the New Testament explains the Old Testament. Go back to 2 Corinthians for a minute. For though we live in the world, We do not wage war as the world does. So although life tells us to act one way, we don't have to act that way just because life tells us to act that way. That life tells us this is success. is not necessarily success. That life says this is how you can measure your accomplishments is not necessarily true. We have to go back to this book and go, God, what do you say success is? Lord, what do you say winning looks like? Because if we're all destined to win, does that mean we all have to have X amount of riches or a certain level of house or drive a certain standard of car or have
1: a certain type of job or not need a job? Is that real success? David... Refuses to fit into Goliath's world.
0: He doesn't have the tools to fight the way the world fights. Corinthians goes on and says this. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. So David is not going to live like he's in the world. He's not going to wage war like he's in the world. And he's not going to fight with the
1: weapons that the world fights with. You know the story. David has a sling and five stones. Life is a fight. You know that. You're in it. There's days that you don't feel like you're fighting, and there's days like you feel like you're battling.
0: There's seasons in life that it feels like you're fighting all the time and if every time we step into the world and fight like the world does the world will win when we try and fight finance with finance the world wins when we try and fight influence with influence the world wins when when we try and fight by um pushing and shoving when we try and fight by just getting our own breakthrough the the world always wins But the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. We're not limited to fighting the way that they would fight. So if you scrap and fight your way through, you cut your corners in your business, you make unreasonable demands on relationships, if you cheat in tests, massage the figures, play the field, if you cut the legs out from under your colleagues and friends, you fight by the rules of this world to try and get ahead and try and make it. But when we realize the truth of 2 Corinthians 10, and we look at David, we see something radically different. Because our weapons have the power to demolish strongholds. The weapons God has given us to fight with has the power to demolish strongholds. Ephesians 6 tells us, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not people. We're never fighting people as the church. It's not someone who's against you. It's against the rulers, authorities, the powers of this world, against the spiritual force of evil in the heavenly realms. Our enemy has no power against the Holy Spirit Working in us. Our enemy has no power. Against the Holy Spirit working in us. He has no power. Against our praying. He has no power. Against our praising. He has no power. Against our believing. He has no power. Against the promises of God. Yes. When David ran towards Goliath. I expect there was laughter. This skinny little kid. Running against a giant. Early teen, just no armor. Dressed in minimal clothing. Running against a giant. I would think for the Israelites, they're looking and going, Oh, whoa, 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 what's going on? Like we're in a stalemate. And the stalemate's okay because we've not lost. Can I speak over some of your lives? You've reached a stalemate. And you've learned to live with the status quo of what's going on in relationship. You've learned to live with the status quo. You've gone, oh, we can exist like this. They've lived like this for 40 days now. As long as he keeps coming out, they can keep sitting on their hill. You've reached a stalemate on your health. Well, I'm not going to die from it. I mean, I might not live life to the full, but hey, at least, you know, it's not too bad. If you've said it could be worse over any part of your life, you have reached the same stalemate the Israelites met with the Philistines. That someone stood in the middle going, I'm going to make it worse. And you're going, well, if I don't engage with that, then I can just stay on this hill and everything's going to be okay. I mean, it's not life to the full, but at least we're alive. You know, our marriage isn't all it's called to be, but at least we're still together because we haven't pressed the buttons that we know we don't want to press because if we press those buttons, we're going to have to talk about those things. That my business is doing okay. I know it could go a lot better, but at least I've not gone under. And we compare ourselves to others. Oh, we're better than they are. And God's going, i got so, Please stop saying, at least I'm better than that is. And so they're all stood on the hills. And David starts to run along the floor of the valley. The Philistines, I'm sure there's laughter rolling down the hill. This is it. We, we have just won. <laughs> the Israelites have lost it. They've sent a kid. And then suddenly, David starts to turn a sling. Now, we read it, right? and And... and The majority of us in the room are Western. And we don't have an upbringing that tells stories in the same way. But in that warfare at that time, this was cheating. Well, it is, unless you decide you're just not obeying and waging war like others wage war and the slinger is coming to attack. When he looked like a skinny boy, he was not scary. But when he started to turn a sling, the Philistines realized, this kid's dangerous. Because he has practiced so much and he has fought lions and bears with a sling. I don't know if you ever thought about that. He is so good, he can take out that level of predator. And Goliath is a reasonably immobile giant. You see, when we stand up to bring breakthrough, we're not trying to find a sword or a javelin. We're spinning a sling. And that thing is prayer pray about that. Those have got to be some of the most terrifying words that ring out. I'm I'm going to pray about that. No, I'm going to believe for a breakthrough. Now, when we come and we praise together and we pray together and we agree together, it's like we're just turning the sling. We're saying, God, this thing may look big, but in comparison to you, it's nothing. And what we're coming against it with is so much more powerful than it is. What we're bringing to the fight is almost illegal. It makes the fight so one-sided. What you are facing is utterly one-sided. And stop thinking you're on the small side. You're on the winning side. Your problems are utterly one-sided because God's sat in your corner. He's just waiting for you to tag him in. You're so busy wrestling and fighting it yourself. You forgot to turn around and go, okay, go on, God. He's just sat there waiting to go. Come on, just just invite me in. Just, just just turn the sling one time. Just one time will be enough. Just invite me in to this situation. Invite me into that healing. Invite me into that child who's away from me. Invite me into that business decision. Invite me into that financial breakthrough. Just invite me in. I am ready to fight. I am ready to go. Well, you gotta choose are you gonna go that way? And so. quote from a historical weapons expert. Robert Dorend from the University of Washington said this. Goliath had as much chance against David as a Bronze Age warrior with a sword against a man with an automatic pistol. We sometimes read it wrong. We get so caught up with the size of the giant the power he must have had, the experience he had, and the whole time, David was always going to win. In your life, you are destined to win. You are destined. It's it's so one sided what you were facing. You are destined to win. You have got to shift your mindset think differently about it see beyond the problem that you're facing and believe that God is going to bring a breakthrough I don't, I don't know what you're facing today and I'm reasonably sure my time is gone but I want to pray because I believe for some of you this word of faith is unlocking your situations right now it is unlocking your situation because you've suddenly realized we don't have to lose we don't have to lose that health fight. We don't have to lose that financial fight. We don't have to lose that relationship fight. We don't have to lose. We don't. That's right. We don't have to lose in our business. Uh, we don't have to lose in our circumstances. We don't have to lose in these things because God is on our side. Finish this for me. If God is for
1: us, true,
0: we've got to get a hold that what this says is absolutely true, and is as relevant to today as it always has been, so we're going to pray, we'll do, hey, tell you what we'll do, let's do our raise of hallelujah. Kerry, you want to come back or not? Because right. I want you to sing it differently to how we sang it before. And listen, we sang it well before. But I want us to sing it realising I'm destined to win. I've been set up to win. God is so on my side that it is absolutely impossible for us to lose. Stop measuring your life on day four. Stop looking at where things are now. You have not got to the end of the fight. And realize God is saying, what about today we fight a little differently? What about we wage war? Not as the world does, but as God calls us to. With the power of of our praise. And when we praise powerfully, it brings breakthrough. So why don't you stand to your feet right across the room. I'm hoping something inside you, something in your spirit is starting to rise up right now. Like that sense of victory is on my side. Victory is going ahead of me. It is walking beside me. It is going behind me. It is leading me through this. But we're believing. We're going to push through right now we're going to believe that there are situations and circumstances that are never going to be the same after this morning because we are pushing through that we are believing that God is on our side that God is for us who can be against us that there is nothing that could hold us back slow us down push us back that God is bringing a breakthrough so we're gonna sink.